0: Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we explore urban Paris with Fabian Sow from Flaneur magazine. Plus, a cool title coming from Malaysia, The Laterals. And finally, from Bulgaria, I speak with Konstantin Valkov from Dolce Farniente magazine. Enjoy the show. From Idori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with the great Flaneur magazine. The title is a site specific magazine telling global stories on a micro scale from streets all around the world. For issue nine, I, the team explores the Boulevard Peripherique in Paris. Let's hear from Flaneur's editor in chief, Fabienne Saul.
1: Usually our choice is very much based on walking the city, the actually sensory experience of being immersed in the space. To some extent, that's also true for the Paris issue, but we chose a highway, 35 kilometer, the Ring Road of Paris, that is also marks the former city border, Well, still the official city border of Paris, although we can question whether that is still the city limits, but it is a segregation line in many ways. And the way that this came upon was that going with this project that is called Flaneur to Paris sounds a bit like a trap because Paris is a city that in its design of a modern city has been so influential in what we believe a modern city to be. And one of the key strategies of that modern city is to mask the violence, to mask a city of control, a city that is policed, a city that is built for the rich, a city that is centralised, and mask it as something beautiful, right? There's beautification, there's nice boulevards, there's nice public space with advertisement on commerce and fashion. And Paris is all of that, but Paris is a city that is brilliant at masking the violence that that means for the majority of the people. And the majority of the people of Paris don't live inside the boulevard périphérique, where we only have 2.2 million but we have 8 million people living outside the Bifflik. So choosing that road was a way of finding an entrance point into the conversation about that city that does not fall into the trap of the story that the city tells of itself.
0: And I think it's a timely choice as well, because of course, next year Paris is hosting the Olympic Games, and I know some politicians, they want change in the city. And of course, that would involve the Boulevard Peripherique. So I think that it's a ring road that I know it's celebrating 50 years as well. But I think there will be a lot of change. And I think probably you've noticed that in your research, right? And I'm sure it's reflected in the magazine
1: in the new issue as well. Yes, it's a highly political subject. Almost any political campaign on uh, the level of the city, but also the country mentions the Boulevard Peripherique as an obstacle of a former time that seems to manifest a certain order of the city and that seems to make it impossible for that city to grow into the future. And of course, that is a subject that we often deal with. It's uh, places that give us access to the the different layers of the place, both in what are the different realities that people live in. This is a very collaborative project. So we always involve many different voices, people from all disciplines, people working, living in the place, etc. To try to find an entrance into narrating that space that is not just from one voice or that is not perpetuating the big narratives of the space and so of course you often end up dealing with places that are either on the verge of vanishing or that are on the verge of or that trying that are obstacles of a different time that we need to overcome i think it's important to mention that we try not to involve ourselves with the magazine too much into that political debate in a party politics manner but it was important to talk about what is the actual experience of people in that space and what does that tell us about the hidden geometry of the place like because it is maybe also too easy to just go and say like this is the obstacle the periphery and if we overcome that and let's say make it into a nice green boulevard or make it into a less noisy boulevard, etc. then we solve the problem. And of course, that's not the case. <laughs> it becomes like a metaphor. It becomes a symbol for many things. And for us, it was important to, although when we speak about, as the name already says, Boulevard Peripherique, we speak about the relationship of the central power and whatever narratives of the peripheries are, but that we don't do that by just treating it as a metaphor and treating it as a symbol that we can then utilize And we feel like we solve the metaphor, we solve the problem, but it is an actual space, it's an actual physical reality and realities in the plural that people live in. And I think that was important to focus on rather than on the party politics debate.
0: And did you find, I mean, because that's what I like about Flaneur, you really go deep. I mean, I'm sure you've been there to the Boulevard Peripherique. Did you find any beauty in it? Because, of course, some people say, oh, you know, it, it can look a little bit daunting in some ways. But tell us about your experience, actually, when you were there physically visiting the space.
1: In this issue, we really took a new role in the sense that we knew that speaking about this road is not our place. And we involved four curating editors that have much more experience with working in different communities that are involved in the space itself, but also in different kind of disciplines on site. So what I can tell you is what are the different experiences of the different contributors that worked with us and that worked with us for two years, actually, on <laughs> trying to grasp that road? Because it's, of course, at first it's overwhelming. It's associated with everything that's not functioning. Is it's, it's cars, it's noise, it's traffic it's you know no one wants to likes to be on the boulevard it's a you know a necessity that a lot of people could live without but at the same time there is a lot of stories in the magazine that actually deal with the with the different lives that unfold in the proximity of that space and the different layers of memories of these places And i think it's quite important to not just go about and You know, when we declare something noisy and polluted and something is challenging to live in, etc., it's a fine line to actually devalue the spaces and the realities that people live in. Of course, there are political power, historical, and including all the racist and classist reasons that this road and the conditions of life have been created by the centralist power the way they have been. But at the same time, there is a rich history of lives that have been lived in all of these spaces and people trying to resist and live in also a certain resilience in those spaces that is important to highlight when we want to avoid just falling again into that same trap where we just find the answer and beautifying something and thinking that we've solved the problem at the core. Because if we just say like, well, that's a really noisy, dirty road, could we get rid of it? We are pretty much also in a space where we just feel that optics are going to change systemic issues. You've explained
0: very elegantly, and I I love that. And Fabiana, I just want to ask about Flaneur as a magazine. How's it going? What what can you tell us in terms of it's the ninth issue as well? So clearly, I think it's a magazine with a lot of kind of loyal fans uh, already. But are you trying also perhaps to expand to people that don't, you know, that never came across actually a copy of Flaneur before?
1: It's interesting you mentioned that because it's a conversation that we're having within the team a lot that we of course have worked with incredible artists and thinkers and writers and people from all the different beautiful places that we were invited to work in. At the same time in the last years we've worked much more with concepts that involve people that maybe don't have the opportunity to express themselves creatively on a regular basis. We've run school workshops, university workshops. We've done more community-oriented projects over the last three to four years in particular, which obviously during the pandemic maybe was a little harder to do, but still that is the direction that the project is taking. We don't know yet where that leads to, but I think at the core of the project is, you could see the magazine as a documentation of a collective research process, of a collective artistic research. But at the same time, what happens inside the process people meeting, friendships being built, artistic collaborations being built. The magazine ultimately is a platform for that. And I think what we need to always come back to is nurturing that platform and trying to understand for ourselves and everyone else involved, because I feel like Fener already has such a beautiful network of people that were in one way or the other involved with the project and that have a quite like heartfelt connection to the project and to each other and i think our role as the founders and the the organizers of the project is to to nurture that whatever the outcome that is it doesn't always have to be a product that is the outcome and i think that's kind of what i see as the challenge of this project how can we make it more accessible for people to join that collective journey
0: thank you very much fabian and issue nine of Fluner is out now To Malaysia now, a pleasure to speak with Brian Kong from The Laterals, a title that had the pleasure to be featured in their previous edition. The Laterals is a primer biannual magazine and digital website with a mission to cross identities from the East and the West. And of course it features long-form conversations with profiles from people from the world of film, art, music, fashion and media. Let's hear more from Brian.
2: I founded The Laterals in 2013 It started out as a website in my bedroom, in a small apartment in Los Angeles. This is embarrassing, but it had merely a couple of exclusive features for the launch. You know, I had to literally back to feature someone and that's a crappy way to do things, but it is very different now. We rest on the comfort of being pitched as we've developed great relationships with industry publicists through the years, but it has always been a passion project for me. Like I made sure that everything I do does not need to feel like work. You know, I try to keep it enjoyable. Of course, there are the regular deadlines that we have to face or commercial stress that every magazine needs to go through. But I think by keeping it as a passion project, I think my team and I get to enjoy the journey, so I'm 34 now. So let's just say I'm treating it as a life experience as we grow and I love that I could always be inspired by my team, and I'm sure you know this, but there's this warmth that you get by being formed and how each of us could influence each other every day. It's so different than wearing a single hat and worrying about one snake alone.
0: Tell us about the covers, I mean, it's fantastic, the talent you bring. So, for example, I know there's quite a few covers every issue, but I have the Will Sharp one, which I'm very lucky because I, I loved his work in The White Lotus. And, you know, I think he's, he's such a great actor. Not only actor, I think he's, he's also a director. But tell us about some of the names you have in this new issue.
2: We have recently launched our eighth issue, like, uh, featuring the likes of Haley Steinfeld, Tom Clementier. Lola Tongue and Will Sharp on the covers. I would probably have a highlight for every single cover, but I think we can save that over wine and dinner. In this issue, we had the pleasure of working with Pam Clemente for the second time. You might recognize her from her roles in Guardians of the Galaxy and Mission Impossible. We decided to shoot her again because her career is on a fantastic trajectory. And of course, like uh, one of the favorites And this issue is Will sharp, you know, it was quite an interesting day from a production standpoint, it was a bit messy with numerous red flags, you know, the shoot had to be rescheduled multiple times due to the Met Gala and, you know, fashion week was overlapping at some point. There was like 18 cats at this location that we were based. So we were nervous, but Will was incredibly cool. Like we took him around London and he was open to our ideas, like he was active. And he's not only a talented actor, but also a brilliant director, as you said. You know, we're proud to speak to him for this cover story.
0: I was going to ask you, Brian, it seems to me that there's quite an exciting publishing scene at the moment uh, in Malaysia. There's something quite exciting there. What do you think?
2: Absolutely. I think there has been a noticeable evolution, I think, in the independent magazine scene in Malaysia. Like there are more publishers and you know, entrepreneurs who have embraced the idea of launching their magazines, showcasing like the diversity and richness of Malaysian culture and talent. I could name a few right now. And I think Trees is one of them and also Process Magazine and also Plates Magazine. I mean, like the growing popularity of independent magazines has encouraged these collaborations and cross promotions, I guess, you know, and it fosters a supportive community. And we are really tiny too, like the independent scene in Malaysia is really small.
0: but growing at the same time, right? And The Laterals feels to me quite an international project as well. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also have some sort of base in London, in China as well. And who are the readers of of The Laterals? Do you feel it's quite international as well?
2: Although we are based in Malaysia, like we do sell our magazine worldwide, at least 70% of our readers are international. While we do have like a significant presence in the UK and the US, like our magazine's main market is actually in Malaysia. Like we do take great pride in being a Malaysian publication and just recently I'm very much into celebrating some of our local talents as well.
0: And Brian, uh, another question here uh, for the laterals. When I read, I mean, I know we're saying it's an independent title, of course. It feels quite established, your magazine. You know, I want to know more a little bit about the business side of things, you know, because, yeah, it feels to me like it could be like a commercial title from one of the big publishers. It's so well done. Uh, tell us a bit more about that.
2: Okay, so we don't accept just any advertising for our magazine. It has to align with, our vision, I think, and coming from a commercial magazine background, you know, I understand how advertising can impact readership. You know, nobody wants to buy a book full of ads and outdated news. So we aim to keep it as minimal as possible with advertising. However, since we spotlight the works of artists, filmmakers, and actors, we do have some commercial attachment due to our association with like Hollywood film studios and actors and publicists, it's probably like inevitable that as we are in the media and publishing business, and it is essential for our survival. You know, luxury brands like Chanel or Cartier, they would often collaborate with us for our cover shoots. And surprisingly, they do respect our editorial integrity and are receptive to our ideas.
0: And so they should. And where people can can buy the laterals, I guess, do you sell it from your website as well?
2: Yes, I mean, those who are interested could buy our magazines online on our website. We're also available on Mac Culture in the UK and Magazine Heaven, iconic magazines in New York, multi-arts in Taiwan, Bastille Graphic Arts in Singapore, and we're distributed nationwide across my country and in select hotels, resorts and cafes. You know, we're still working on collaborating with more places to distribute our magazines for our future issues, but we are exactly where we're supposed to be right now, and I feel truly thankful.
0: Thank you very much, Brian. And for more information, go to thelateros.com. And finally, we welcome back to the show Konstantin Valkov from Dolce Farniente magazine. Konstantin is also a Bulgarian journalist, radio host, and program director at Direct Radio. He also just published his photography book, Play and Display. Let's hear from Konstantin.
3: The idea of the book is very interesting, for me at least, I think. I was interested in power for three, four years now. The initial idea to photograph men and women of power came from two sides. First, I'm the presenter in Direct Radio because we are mainly a broadcast company, a radio, of Direct Radio's weekly political program. This is a five-hour live Saturday morning broadcast that includes interviews with prominent Bulgarian figures and foreign ones. So the guests are politicians, noteworthy experts, famous Bulgarians from different fields of the society, They are coming all from diverse backgrounds. So one day, a friend of mine who is a professional photographer here in Bulgaria, Kalin Ruichev, he suggests that I should not only interview those like prime ministers, presidents, artists and so on, but I should take portraits of them because when I'm interviewing them and the interviews are very long, somehow they trust me more and they will be more able to pose for a portrait. Uh, And he said, in two, three years' time, you will have, let's say, 200 portraits of all the Bulgarian prominent figures, and this will be a huge collection. So I bought two old film cameras and started to make classic black and white portraits of uh, those guests. The second reason, as I started, uh, that I'm interested in power, men and women that have, power, power of political figures, but not only power of skateboarders in South Africa, for example, changing people's lives, power of artists. So I'm interested in researching power, photographing power about how power is obtained, how power is used, how power is abused, obviously. And I thought that through interviewing and photographing persons of power, I'm doing a good journalism product. First of all, I made two exhibitions focused on portraits because I do have a lot of documentary work as well from travels from Kabul in Afghanistan, from Beirut in Lebanon to Nuuk in Greenland. So together with the curator Marietta Tsenova, we decided to include all those photographs in a book. And Andrew Tuck is is is. there as well. I was was
0: going to mention that he's got a lovely portrait there in the book Mm. as well. So glad to see him there.
3: Yes, I'm trying whenever I travel for work on assignment, I'm trying to photograph the world through as unique lens as possible from official government's visit to my personal travels from let how to say, brutalist architecture in Lagos to skateboarders in Cape Town. So these are the stories, so 250 pages photographic book. We tried it to print it on the highest quality paper possible. We linen and bound the edition. I hope it offers a powerful and meaningful photographic project.
0: And you were, I know, I know you were playing with some of the photos. Now I can see, are you planning also an exhibition where people can go and see those photos as well?
3: Yes, actually, my latest exhibition will be live on 29th of August in the National Gallery here in Sofia, Bulgaria. It will be focused only on skateboarders from South Africa because I figured out that it's very interesting that skateboarding has a huge mental health benefit to the youth. It allows creative freedom, it enhances brain and body coordination, there is a mood improvement and stress relief, skateboarding helps to overcome your fears, teaches resilience, teaches patience, increases self-esteem. So I decided to go to, to Cape Town, to Johannesburg and to Pretoria and to photograph skateboarders there the exhibition will be focused only on skateboarders.
0: That's fun. There's something quite cool about that, I think, as well. Uh, and I love, you know, one picture I love, it. I don't know how it relates to power as well, but the dog jumping, I think on page 27, that was yes, such it's a, from an instant. Arles,
3: yeah, <laughs> that was, it's from Arles in France.
0: That was a very fun one. But tell us, Constantine, what about Dolce Farniente? I think when we spoke last time, I think it was more at the beginning of the magazine it was quite an interesting launch and here it is issue 11 i love the format large format a lot of good advertisers there in the in there so tell us a bit more introduce perhaps the title for the listeners who might not know actually yes
3: so i think that beyond the photographs and the photo book mm. we as a media mm. direct radio we would like to showcase that we want to be the mediator of objective news to give airtime to ideas big and small alike to establish new talents because our studio doors are always open to new talent. And one day I interviewed the CEO of the mobile phone company PUNKT, which is very well known to Monocle Mm. readers and Monocle listeners because I, for the first time I saw the first mobile phone that PUNKT produced in Monocle. So we talked about how we stare 24 hours per day at small phone screens, all day at phone screens. And this is our digital life. But suddenly, our analog life started to look more and more like the digital life because the printed edition back then, there was a trend for becoming small like pocket titles, even magazines shrinking their format and so on. So then it occurred to me to make, where we are radio, a newspaper, with the biggest possible format to be printed here in Bulgaria. So the main idea is to produce a free magazine, but that is printed on a good quality paper, that has an opinionated voice on culture, on travel, smart ideas, showcasing the local and the authentic, as well as researching not-so-mainstream foreign stories. So in terms of design and production, I think we are doing what we want in terms of design, layout, fonts. We are not following any rules or any particular design with every single issue. We are focused on craft, creativity, representing every story. And our focus, because we are, Direct Radio is a current and news affair station. So we are trying to find out compelling, relevant voices, interesting writers, fascinating people that can move the conversation forward, We seek to inspire, to entertain. And the main thing is that this Dolce Farniente magazine or newspaper exists only in print form, not in digital one. Each issue is focused on topics that interest us. They are not intentionally newsworthy or with a certain main theme of the magazine, for example. But we are just trying to reinvent print as such, for example.
0: (laughs) Help me out here, because, of course, I don't speak Bulgarian, unfortunately. But I think the cover is so interesting. It's a man reading Le Monde Diplomatique. He's got a very funny kind of expression on his eyes.
3: And what does he say here? I mean, I'm not even going to try. Heat. Uh, what, the, what, what, what is that? So it means that we are trying to write about heat in terms of that it's summer outside and the temperatures are very high, but there is heat everywhere in the diplomatic world, in foreign affairs world, in the economic world, like everywhere there is heat. So although it is a summer issue and we call it Dolce niente, which means like the elegant way of doing nothing, although we are, let's say, a laid back or a leisure title in a way, the DNA of Darik Radio as a broadcast media focused on current affairs and good journalism and personality presenters, we are trying to be at the forefront of the issues of the moment so, for example, in this last issue, we have a, a very big uh, reportage from Beirut after the blast from La Coruña, where Inditex are making great photo exhibitions. We have uh, really long opinion pages on two of the blockbuster movies, Oppenheimer and Barbie. Yes, we are trying to have covers that in a way are iconic, that resonate True Bulgaria, because this is a Bulgarian publication, but that can be relevant to the world as well. But because heat is an obvious theme, I think that what we have to do, and we are not doing it very well now, probably, is that we can do in our next issues to steer up conversation, to be a little bit more provocative while trying to innovate as much as we can in order to be sure that we are moving forward.
0: Thank you very much, Constantine. And if you want to purchase the book, drop Constantine a line to kv at egoist, E-G-O-I-S-T dot b-g. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpmonaco.com. We'll be back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Rafaela Cara, Dolce Farniente. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Gusto Pacheco. It's goodbye from me.